Welcome to 10X Growth Podcast. This is your host, Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor, and board member. In this episode, we will review the book, Ride of a Lifetime, by the Disney CEO, Bob Iger. Our guest today is Arun Mani, the former president of Freshworks Europe. Welcome, Arun. Thank you for joining us on 10X Growth Podcast. Thank you, Preeti. Thank you for having me. Very excited about this. Fantastic. Tell us about your career and life journey. You've been in 80 different countries and lived in eight eight of them. So tell us about yourself. Well, Preeti, I started like most uh, you know Indians who grew up in India at the time during the 90s as an engineer and uh, moved to the States, did my master's. And I switched after working as an engineer at Intel in California for almost five years uh, to my business school. And, you know, in many cases in different business schools are focused on many things. I went to INSEAD. It was a party school in some way, shape or form. So I had a good overview of many things, but I wanted to go deeper. So I came back to the East Coast and uh, worked in consulting uh, more as a problem solver. That's the second phase of my career from engineer to problem solver. And after almost uh, uh, six, seven years of consulting uh, at Accenture and McKinsey, I moved to AppMaxis. It's a New York-based scale-up as a sales leader and uh, led their uh, rapid growth globally in one of their main segments. Um, And this was a four-year trajectory. And post that, I did that again uh, at at Freshworks, uh, this time as a European leader. And while I've had the experience of an engineer, problem solver, and a sales leader. This time I tried to refashion myself as a people leader, putting people first and uh, you know using the learnings from the past to do it uh, better. So that's what I did for the last five years. Indeed, uh, it is phenomenal, the career journey that you've gone through and uh, reinvented yourself so many times. That is certainly inspiring for several of us here. So why did you choose to read the book, Ride of a Lifetime? Actually, I didn't read the book. I listened to it. Like uh, this is one of the new habit I picked up uh, during the pandemic-induced lockdown. So usually, each year I read about like ten books uh, max, and that would have been a, a good number. But last year, because of the lockdown and uh, my new interest to listening to books as audio books, I listened close to thirty books and countless hours of podcasts. Um, and this is why I picked up new hobbies like bicycling or running or any other activity that I was doing. So this helped me ramp up. And uh, this book came uh, as one of uh, my friend's recommendation while I was looking to not only read business books, but also biographies and fiction. And I read, uh, listened to a lot of uh, business books and uh, this was one of them among other books. That's great. Uh, you know, you, I, you talked about several great habits out there, right? Reading books regularly and then also taking care of your fitness. Uh, it's, it looks like the pandemic year turned out to be uh, actually you took best use of it to develop all these habits. That's good advice for our readers here. So let's deep dive into the ride of the lifetime book here. What are your top three takeaways and how did you apply them? So there's a lot actually in this book. Uh, like you said, uh, the book, what I actually, the, my interest to the book when I started reading was primarily around uh, the events that I had personal affinity and fascination, the, the 
uh, Disney Pixar merger, and there's a lot of press which I read through. But surprisingly, I learned a lot from the early part of the book, uh, which is about uh, his own character. I didn't realize that he started at the bottom of the rung and went up. So I picked like not three, but four uh, qualities or things that I really liked or uh, learnings from the book. But one is the humility. Bob Stone throughout the book was uh, very humble. And uh, even though he broke down the book into learning and leading and in the learning, you would expect it to be humble. But I often used to recall some of the challenges or the hills I climbed with a sense of achievement and uh, with a sense of uh, expertise. But uh, after reading the book, I look back and I always try to go back to that scenario where I still haven't climbed the hill and or still haven't solved the challenge. And looking at it from that learner mindset has helped me actually be a better coach because I don't uh, teach from a place of expertise, but I teach from a, a mode of learning. The second thing I would say is the habits. You know, uh, this is not a particular, but it's sprinkled throughout the book. Bob has this uh, habit of waking up at 4.30 every single morning, and uh, he's already done with his exercise, reading and thinking well before the day takes over your day. Uh, the rigors of the day takes over. And I try to do that uh, with some success. Um, try to wake up early and uh, you know get stuff done and also uh, block times for reading and thinking. And the third one I really liked was, um, I think when he was talking about a lot of times uh, working with the creatives or uh, doing a production or so on, like focus on the big things. So uh, the word he uses is it really doesn't matter uh, how will you get the details right if the overall direction is wrong? And uh, this is very, very important. Being in leadership positions, a lot of the times your job is to make choices between two gray, not black or white choices, but two uh, shades of gray. And uh, you have to make a decision and go for it. And, uh, um, and it's much more difficult to do that rather than actually fall back on our each one of us have uh, some quirks where we start focusing on the minutia and start fixing them. And it gives us a sense of satisfaction, but that's not what's going to get you there. So that's a good learning. And the last part is about creating a safe space. And this is more so pertinent these days. You know, um, he always emphasizes this about the need to take big risks. And uh, he, he never liked to play it safe, even though some of the cultures he had was very calculated and safe. Uh, one of the quotes I liked is he wanted to play, be in the business of creating possibilities for greatness. So, you know, removing the fear and the risk for failure and creating the safe space. So I would say these are the four things that I took away. Uh, I think these are easily implementable by anybody mm -hmm. on a day to day. And uh, um, I, I'm trying my best. That is great to hear. And knowing you, Arun, I have seen you in action with several of those, right? I have seen you as a leader that is leading from behind, right? Letting the team get the limelight and learning in the process. So certainly I can resonate with what you said uh, in learning. And I'm with you there on uh, waking up at 4.30. Uh, I think I, I managed to do that maybe a couple of times in the last month, but it was pretty tough. And uh, I, fa I fall back to my 6 a.m. <laughs> wake up time. And <laughs> that's a tough one there. Uh, um, also, there is yeah. a good book on this. I think, uh, I think it's called Atomic Habits. It's on my reading list. I haven't read it yet, but it came highly recommended about how to make, you know, habitual changes. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> Atomic habits. 
and uh, even in terms of uh, taking risks uh, and uh, at a global level, right? Even if we talk about risks in being part of the Silicon Valley culture and how Bob was able to do that for a global company that was already really big, uh, really resonated. Great summary there, Arun. I want to take a step into the 10 principles of leadership that Bob called out in his prologue. And for the listeners' uh, benefit, I'm going to just talk through those 10. Uh, One, optimism. Two, courage. Three, focus. Four, decisiveness. Five, curiosity. Six, fairness. Seven, thoughtfulness. Eight, authenticity. Nine, relentless pursuit of perfection. And 10, integrity. That's a lot. It's literally like lessons (laughs) from a lifetime of uh, Bob. What are the top two principles that resonated most with you and why? The thing is, uh, like you said, is an exhaustive list. And uh, um, as a leader, I think you need to uh, definitely check the box on all of them. Uh, and at varying degrees. So I, I picked two based on the times where we are right now. And I picked uh, optimism and curiosity. Uh, right now, if you open up the, any newspaper or whatever media, however you consume, it's all doom and gloom. <laughs> Whether it's the end of democracy or climate change or rise of bots and you, you name it, you know, it's, it's always... Uh, uh, so I think... It has always been like this. I think humanity has faced all these kind of issues. Uh, but right now, I think there is a lot of over-indexing on this. And uh, this can go back to our corporate situations as well. So, you know, when you look at the competition, the market, uh, and X, Y, Z. So what I really liked is the, at the end of the day, people look for optimism in the leaders uh, that that we can do it, we can overcome this come what may and uh, uh, kind of based in realism. So this is something that I think it resonated with me and uh, it's both more or less not like crazy optimism, more of a pragmatic enthusiasm for what can be achieved, right? And uh, helps create energy in a setting. And uh, at the end of the day, I not only for leaders, for team members, I always look for, is this person net energy additive or they're sapping the energy? Because uh, what we need is to create the energy out of nothing. And that's the most important thing. So optimism is a key thing. And I like it a lot. The second thing, curiosity is more of, you know, I have a six-year-old. So uh, I look at the world through her eyes and it's a, it's a fascinating. And uh, it challenges uh, every bit of preconceived notions and assumptions that's either been drilled into you. Now, when you look at the world through curiosity and uh, every single bit and start questioning them and are asking the right questions, it's, it's amazing how much you learn. Now, if you apply the same thing for business, especially now that you consider it's everything is accelerating, everything is fast. In fact, I read a quote which said, the pace of the change or the acceleration is accelerating, <laughs> which is everything is accelerating. And the only thing that's a constant is your ability to be curious and uh, to learn and have that optimism to tackle it. And as a leader, I think it's very, very important that you keep your ear to the ground and be curious to look for all kinds of signals that could be an opportunity or a challenge or a threat in the horizon and uh, face it with optimistic uh, attitude. 
Nice. I like that acceleration is accelerating. <laughs> that's, a, that's really good. Uh, and uh, I, I know it must have been very difficult to pick two among the 10. Uh, and it was really good to hear uh, your thoughts on both the optimism and curiosity. And I remember even when reading the book that uh, Bob had given some examples of how the team members uh, can be so influenced by the leader's state of being yeah. uh, and how it's important to have that uh, positive belief and trust in your own ability as a leader and the team's ability and having that optimism and pragmatic optimism, as you called it. Yeah. So great thoughts there. Um, let's now look at uh, the other pieces that were discussed in the first part of the book, which is about learning. The book itself is divided into learning and leading. In the learning session, one other lesson the author mentioned that he gained is that people are as important as the product or process you build. He emphasizes the importance of treating people right. What has been your experience with this principle? <laughs> He's lucky to have had that learning much earlier because uh, when I explain my own trajectory, uh, my learning has been the other way around. Uh, I started as an engineer and working closely with products. So for me, it was all about product. And uh, this was the day at Intel uh, where, you know, we're trying to create the world's best processes. It's get the product right. Everything will take care. The second phase of my career was all about, uh, you know, uh, McKinsey as a problem solving. And uh, oftentimes it's also about process. So get the process right, so on. The third phase was it for me in the sales leadership, but only at, uh, uh, when I joined Freshworks and uh, uh, being part of the scale up. And I realized the power of, you know, enabling the people, being the coach, unlocking the full potential of people. And I also realized the power of storytelling, you know, for instance, uh, Freshworks CEO Girish has an amazing uh, capability to actually uh, weave uh, very inspiring stories and how it gets the people together. So for Bob, it was very lucky, you know, if you, if you look at it, his career, he didn't start as an engineer. He started as a supervisor at ABC, starting from the lowest rung and worked his way up and then worked with the some of the most, say, uh, sensitive uh, creatives uh, you could think of uh, working at ABC. And, and he talks a, a lot about how even simple things like feedback, you know, when you're you know, critiquing or uh, giving feedback on a creative product, you have to take into account the sensitivity of it. Otherwise, uh, you know, you instill a fear-based culture, which is not more conducive for more creativity, right? So, so uh, there are two or three things I really liked. You can actually demand excellence without instilling a fear of failure. And he, he learns that from uh, one of his boss uh, at ABC where everybody was afraid of him and he had a very different approach. And in this particular case, he learned how not to be from that particular experience early on by being a witness to what it does to people, right? And uh, the second one was around, you know, um, when he's providing feedback, I think there's one particular thing he talks about is don't focus on the nitty gritty, very small things, but uh, focus on the big things and tell it right away. Because if the storyline is not there, uh, the details doesn't matter. So he, he tries to go for the core piece and not, uh, you know, give small pieces to make him feel good, make others feel good, and so on. I think one other part he talks about is based on, again, one other experience where some of the executives were not being very prepared and the team didn't respect them. So he, he 
caught on to that and he was always prepared for, uh, you know, whether it's a script reading or whether it's uh, giving feedback on certain things. So this ability to ready to do the work gains the respect of the people. So again, he was always focusing on the people, how the people feel, how the people perceive things, uh, the clarity as one of the things he mentioned is the CEO's job is to have a very clear mission and vision and a plan to the people. So fundamentally, he was very focused on that from early in his career. So in my experience, I came to that realization much later, but it's, it's, it's a phenomenal how uh, uh, the earlier you learn that in a career, that it's not anything, it's about the people. I think it's uh, the best thing that can happen to someone in a career. That's a great summary, Arun, because uh, I think the whole point about people first is interspersed across the book where uh, Bob talks about the example that you mentioned wherein the creative uh, mm-hmm. boss was not as respectful to the employees. And, and in a later part of the book, Bob talks about mm-hmm. when he became the boss of that creative person and he was able to communicate to the creative person, Arun, in a yeah. much more conducive way. And Arun then came back and said the project that uh, Bob made him work on, the Millennial Disney uh, project, yeah. was uh, one of the best of Arun's lifetime, right? So yeah. to be able to turn that around and show uh, somebody who yeah. uh, has uh, behaved differently on how uh, Bob yeah. can be a people leader, right? That was phenomenal. In fact, he even talks... The one of the key thing is like how he gets someone excited, knowing uh, what gets somebody excited. Fact that the Millennium Project is almost impossible to do and how he frames it and Rune jumps on it and says, you know, let's go do it. That's, it's, it's important how to uh, message depending on uh, what drives people. And it's uh, fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, motivation and little bit of praise goes a long way for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Let's talk about innovation and failure. You mentioned that that was one of your key takeaways. And he used the term innovate or die and talked about how as a leader, one needs to be comfortable with failure and stand by others during failure. Can you share any examples of bold innovation or failure from your journey? And what were some key learning lessons? I was the employee number one uh, in Europe, and uh, we scaled it to where we are at Freshworks, almost 150 people or so. We had a lot of failures early because early on, we didn't know what we were doing, and we tried a lot of different things. There's this one very interesting uh, thing, episode I remember is there was an event for startups in Berlin, and we thought this would be a great place for us to meet potential customers and uh, meet and we set up this place, we rented it, we had food for like 40, 50 people. We were all in our best dressed and we were sitting there and waiting. And uh, there was uh, another company who were, you know, publicizing this and they said, people will come and whatnot. Guess what? <laughs> Only one person showed up and we are like eight people on our side. And, uh, but we said, let's do it. We still had this one person, you know, the presentation went for 40, 50 people. And <laughs> the one person felt quite overwhelmed that, uh, but he stayed on and he asked his questions and it became more of a discussion. But uh, there are many stories like this. And, uh, you know, but we never stopped us from trying. Um, in terms of uh, innovation, and I know everybody knows about GDPR, when GDPR became a big issue, the, the times of prospecting is not, it's not this plain old, you know, send emails and wait for responses or, cold call, both are not legal in some states. 
So what we were trying to do is create interesting content. And uh, as recently as last year, we were all at home cooking and uh, we started doing a lot of team building events where cooking was the core. You know, somebody will have a recipe, everybody cooks together. And uh, I don't even know how this idea came out. Somebody mentioned, oh, we should make a cookbook. Okay, so we started sharing recipes. Then we said, oh, there's enough recipes. Let's make a cookbook. Then it became like, oh, why don't we make a cookbook really so that we can send it to our customers and prospects because they're also cooking. They may like it. So it became a, a well-produced book with recipes from our... And here's an example of a ground-up innovation. You know, it doesn't have crazy budgets or anything, but a simple idea with a good chance of failing. But with the good execution, it became a success. And uh, everybody was so energized, uh, both internally and externally. And we had fun doing it. Nice. I did see the cookbook. It was amazing on LinkedIn and several other social media channels of Freshworks. And the amount of comments that it received, the positive feedback uh, was certainly uh, really eye-opening on how much that made an impact. So certainly listeners do check out the Freshworks handle for the cookbook. Maybe you might pick up a couple of recipes that are working for you. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, Arun. Uh, let's now talk about some of the lessons Bob mentioned from the Disney ABC merger and the different management styles between the two companies, right? So he talked about that Disney was centralized, data-driven decisions, and ABC had more autonomy and independence. And you, in your career also, have been, I'm pretty sure, through all, all these different types of uh, <laughs> organizations. So what are some advantages and disadvantages from either approach? Like uh, you mentioned, you know, we've been through a lot of different organizations with different structures. And uh, not only that, we've also seen a particular organization evolve through different phases, right? And uh, what it does. So, so I want to zoom out and say, you know, for instance, structure follows strategy, right? And if your strategy, uh, one of the core underpinning of a strategy that it's your people uh, and you believe that if your core belief is the intelligence, the innovation, the solutions, the ideas and uh, innovation is going to come from the nodes, which is the different people far flung. I think it's better to go with the, uh, more of a enablement based culture with uh, centralized guardrails uh, and now, when you talk about the Disney and ABC, it was very evident it's a complete opposite end of the spectrum and the challenges it had and the concerns people were having and so on. And I think he took the learning in uh, when he talked about the Disney to Pixar, he learned that to ensure that you know Pixar basically had that leeway to be what it is. Uh, because a company of a size like Disney to be continuously innovative and attract people and have different, I would say, not only on the creative pursuits in different areas where this is all about animation versus, uh, you know, very digital and also take now companies like Hotstar, uh, which is in Asia, you know, it happens with the CEO is a close friend uh, and, and they give so much independence and autonomy to, for them to go do it. Of course, within the guardrails of what it is there. I think striking the happy medium is important because we don't want also to complete, uh, um, let's say, anarchy of sorts. <laughs> but at the same time, it's important to have that. And I've seen this a lot. Wherever there is uh, important, you want innovation. A good example is wealth management. There is a lot of uh, global wealth management companies, they, they, they are a collection of small wealth management companies. 
each one would be like, uh, you know, 40 advisors or so on and so forth, but they'll have so many because they do believe that each wealth management company has a different strategy or some secret sauce. But if you put them in the blender and say, everybody has the same secret sauce, uh, you know, your chances of failure is very high. And same thing in a creative process, they want kind of all kinds of movies all the way from, uh, you know, comic books to uh, creative and they have a whole spectrum. And, and you can see how the early learning, how he experienced from the ABC to Disney, he was able to use that in the subsequent mergers. Yeah, that's a great uh, way to approach it, right? Do a combo approach wherein you have the autonomy in the divisions and still have some centralized way of giving the best practices and oversight. Uh, and uh, I, this is a fantastic uh, summary of how you could balance the both words, uh, Arun. Um, next, I want to talk about conflicts. Throughout the book, Bob talks about several conflicting situations and how he had to use different styles of management, such as democracy, soft autocracy, and so on. What has been your go-to method for conflict resolution in teams? I think it's evolving. There is no one recipe, but uh, overall what I found over and over that's uh, worked for me, and I also see how he has applied that is it's transparency, making sure that you know you are basically clear about how you are articulating where we are going. And in that transparency, what I would say, the steps at least I follow is number one is zooming out, um, reframing the problem. So because the, the conflicts and tensions, let's take within an organization is natural between different functions. In fact, sometimes it's by design let's say engineering and compliance or finance and marketing, you know, uh, if one is not there, the other one has a free run. Uh, so it is there uh, inherently, but when you're zooming out and you put yourself in the overall objective of the company, you know, each company has their own mission statement, right? Like for Disney, it's all about entertain, inform and inspire, or let's say Google to organize the world's information, make it universally acceptable and, you know, useful accessible and useful. So, and for Amazon, it's about providing the cheapest products with the wide selection and all that stuff. So if you always say that's the overall objective and then you have your values to guide it, right? And uh, then it's easier to make a decision and uh, to resolve conflicts because when you zoom out in this case, he talks about uh, when you talk about Pixar and uh, Disney, when he zooms out saying, here is the bigger opportunity and here is what it is. And he's being very transparent. And you see a lot of episodes of, uh, between him and Steve Jobs that is very clear. Uh, the transparency is there and it uh, engenders the trust. And uh, so you are able to move towards the bigger goal. In similarly, in a conflict scenarios, when you're able to be transparent, zoom out, paint a bigger picture and use the values of what why we exist. So if we are not optimizing it within a silo, but we are reframing the problem at the company level with the mission and vision uh, as the core underpinning. I think uh, that has helped a lot. Uh, and there are plenty of examples that we can go into. Yeah, That's, that's great. I think um, I love the fact that uh, he also had uh, so much humility, like you mentioned earlier, and mm -hmm. respect for the other person in the conflict. Yeah. And he did not let the conflict get in the way of the relationship with the other person. Uh, so it is certainly a huge uh, learning for all of us on how we can become more better selves of ourselves, let alone leaders, but even better selves of ourselves. Uh, 
from what uh, Bob had mentioned in the book. Yeah. Um, this has been an interesting conversation, Arun, and uh, I, I can't believe like it's been 20 minutes and uh, we've really powered through so many topics. Are there any final words of advice that you would like to give to our listeners? Well, and at this point, uh, considering the podcast, I would say keep reading and keep learning because uh, I didn't know so many things about before I read this book. And there is uh, uh, tons of learnings there coming from the I would say, uh, practitioners at the highest levels. And uh, the book is full of that. And similarly, you know, I can quote many more books and it's uh, all full of learnings. So I would say, be, stay curious and stay hungry. Wonderful. That's a great way to finish. Thank you, Arun, for being part of the 10X Growth Podcast. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in today and hope you pick up the book, Ride of a Lifetime, and enjoy it. Thank you, Preeti. Thank you for the opportunity.